Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual on a special night with a special someone. I'm Daniel Shopdaw <laughs> at C70, but I've got Kyle Reese, Kyler416. You know him, you love him, you're slightly scared by him. Um, we're talking tonight, really, I mean, we'll talk about lots of stuff because that's what we do, but the reason I wanted to have Kyle on is if you've listened to the last episode or last couple of episodes, you know, Alan and I have talked about really kind of going through the 40 man roster and figuring out who needs to go, who's going to stay that kind of stuff. And part of that in calculus is the people that are going to be protected in the rule five draft. So there are a lot of names that I don't know anything about. And obviously if I don't know anything about a minor league guy, I call Kyle and he tells me I'm an idiot and we go from there. So <laughs> Kyle, how are you doing tonight? Well, I found out tonight that I'm a special someone, so I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. Uh, and I'm probably going to have to edit that out. But, uh, <laughs> I can't wait to find out what who is sponsoring this episode. That's what I'm most excited about. I'm, I'm most excited to find out if we're sponsored by like M&M's tonight or, or who. Like, I'll have to have a brother listen because there's no way I'm listening to this. Yeah, yeah. See, I have no idea who we're sponsored with because I never listen to these. Uh, never listen to myself. That's that's my rule. Um, I really don't listen to myself when I'm talking right now. So, uh, as, as most people know. Um, so, before we get into the real five, though, I, just highlight, and I know it's hard for you to do, but just high point of where the system is now uh, in your mind. Is it is it strong? Is it weak? How was this season? What are you thinking about the miners? Well, from a wins-loss standpoint, it was positive, specifically compared to coming out of the lost 2020 minor league season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, it, there were a lot of playoff teams. Um, you know, Springfield made the playoffs. Peoria made the playoffs. Uh, Memphis didn't. And honestly, I don't really remember if Palm Beach did or not. Like, that's where my brain is right now. Um, <laughs> uh, again, you threw me off with the special someone. That's. I'm just going to keep going yeah. back to that. Yeah, that's, I know you are. <laughs> um, no, uh, so it's it was a it was a gen a generally positive year from a win loss standpoint, which of course we know means it it doesn't mean a, as much at the minor league level but as it does at the major league level. Uh, I think I think with every organization that has the amount of players that have graduated to the majors, as the Cardinals have had in the last couple of years, there's always a fallback to reality or to the mean or whatever it ends up being with each team, depending on the strength of the organization. I would say that right now there are some very promising prospects, but uh, you know, I remember entering the 2022 off season being very vocal that the Cardinals system was underrated, trying to tell people that, you know, like this is a top five organization. 
And it was because of how close to the major leagues a lot of the contributors were, you know, uh, mm-hmm. at that point. We knew who Jordan Walker was becoming, but, you know, Nolan Gorman was still uh, rookie eligible. Uh, you know, Brendan Donovan was somebody I was high on, Juan Yepes. Uh, and those guys have all graduated off. So this next group hasn't proven itself that way that some of those guys had entering the 2022 season. And I would say that they're kind of transitioning as they find out more about some of their younger players uh, and more raw talent in the system. I wouldn't say that they're a bottom five or a bottom 10 organization. I would say they're probably in that uh, 15 to 19 range. And again, I don't know the other organizations well enough. I just feel like I I have a, a, a feel based on the years of following the Cardinals system. I have a bit of a feel of like what each talent represents. And I do think that with strides and maybe some forceful learning on the pitching side specifically and uh, technique teaching, I do think that they could find their way back up into that, you know, a potentially nine on the high end, um, you know, maybe 14 on the low end area uh, if you were ranking all of the farm systems in baseball. So I think that's just where they're at. There, there's a very, there are still a lot of question marks specifically on the pitching side and specifically for, for, I mean, there's so many different reasons mm-hmm. why there are questions about just how good the farm system currently is along with all the guys who have graduated off in the last couple of years. Yeah, and obviously they got an injection in the middle of the season with some some new faces and some new names, and at least nationally that kind of bumped them up in the rankings a little bit as well. But you're right; I mean, there's still a lot of people that they don't know much about, and we don't know much about. And it's going to be interesting to see how they develop over the next year or two because this is an organization that needs those kind of players to come through. I mean, that's part of the problem for this year, right? They didn't have necessarily those guys to step in and fill the spots that they might have had in the past. Yeah, I think coming out of COVID, one thing that we saw, and part of the reason why they didn't have like win-loss success in the organization, is they were very aggressive as compared to other organizations about where they placed their prospects, uh, in, you know, in, in their system. They were very aggressive about, you know, uh, Zach Thompson and, and Matthew Libertor come to mind go, starting 2021 at AAA after never really having much experience, uh, uh, you know, for Libertor's case, he had never had much, any experience above high A. And mm-hmm. I believe Zach Thompson had like three innings or 10 innings or someplace between there at like double A uh, to, to cap off his 2019 season. And what we saw this year, and the reason I bring that up is what we saw this year is it seems like the Cardinals have, have kind of reset the trajectory of a lot of their they're, they're middle-level prospects. Now, they're still being aggressive with their top-level prospects. You know, uh, uh, Markevian, Tinkens, Mason Wynn. We saw them be very aggressive uh, with, with some of those those promotions. You know, Michael McGreevy as well, who they love. Um, they're still being aggressive with maybe their top-of-the-line prospects. But we've seen them learn that lesson and be a little bit uh, more conservative with players like uh, Bryson Mounts or Pete Hansen. Now Hansen got promoted to AAA um, at the end of the year, but that was just a, you know, thank you for the work you put in. You had a great end of your season. This is, this is what we want you to be. This is where we want you to be in a year from now. Cause he'll probably start at double a, but um, okay. you know, that's, 
I, I think that I think that part of the reason that they had the win-loss success that they had as an organization this year as compared to past year, the last couple years in the past is because they've learned those lessons and they're being a little less aggressive with some of their promotions, even even in surprising ways that, uh, uh, you know, we're all learning on the fly. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And you're right. There was a time where there was a time where they weren't aggressive at all. And then they kind of got happy with that and it, it did cost them a little bit. So yeah. um, it's interesting to see them learning from that, which is a good thing, right? We want this, what we want to see them to be able to adjust this and kind of get a better feel for what this minors is. I know there's been some discussions about the management of the minor leagues um, and everything that goes along with that. Um, well, do you think that that's a, a thing that they're also modifying and adjusting, or is it still a little bit of the old guard there? I think that if they don't adjust, they're out of their minds. Uh, yeah. And that's not to say that people need to get fired that, you know, I, I don't mean that, but I do think that there's some modernization that needs to happen and probably should have happened years ago. And if they haven't seen that, if they haven't adjusted to that, if they're not learning from that, then that is, that's a little malfeasance. It's, it's a little negligence of duties. Uh, but you know, I guess we're all kind of under the impression that they are going to start changing some things here and there, uh, being a little bit more aggressive and modernizing their efforts. But you know, Daniel, you and I have talked about this over and over again, all of these years, they say these things and they don't necessarily do them. So it, I, I think that I think we'll know pretty quick after the world series. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's going to be any, um, uh, you know, messing around. I think we'll know pretty quick about the organizational changes. I think we'll know pretty quick about, you know, maybe even some, some free agent signings. I can't help but Like I can't help but shake the feeling that uh, uh, I, I guess I can't help but that have that feeling sit with me that, there will be at least one quick free agent signing, um, whatever that is. It might just be a relief pitcher. It might be some depth. I mean, they'll almost certainly sign a catcher that doesn't make any sense. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, depending on what they do right. with Jose Fermin, they'll sign their next Jose Fermin, Taylor Motter, um, you know, uh, Max Moroff. Like, it, they'll do that. But I, I do think that they'll be a little bit more aggressive uh, uh, coming out. But, yeah, look it's it's time to adjust to the times and that that doesn't necessarily mean Gary LaRocket Gary LaRocket's can I think he's got one more year left on his contract but we'll see what happens there I, I just want to see that they have a succession plan in place mm-hmm. um and that it's hopefully not somebody from the org and I love everybody in the organization too but right. hopefully it's not somebody from the organization hopefully at least if it is somebody from the organization they're bringing in somebody from outside of the organization and testing those waters because I think I think that's important. And I know you and Alan have talked about that a lot and you and the various guests you've had uh, throughout the year um, have talked about that a lot, but I, I think that that's the key. I, I want to see them not only employing uh, additional technologies and modernizing their pitching in particular, because I, I think the hitting, I think Russ Steinhorn and the boys, although are, are, do a great job. Um, uh, although I think things have taken a step back with Tiger Peterson finding his way into the Mariners organization. But um, I, I, I think that the pitching needs an overhaul. I think they understand the pitching needs an overhaul. And, and I think what we'll see, uh, not only with the overhauls that they make at the minors, but at the majors, and maybe even with the free agents that they sign, that they're they're not going to go all in for strikeouts. They're just going to try to find out how to marry the ground ball rates that they want with an increase in strikeout rates. Yeah. Makes sense. 
so yeah, that's that's going to be interesting to see. Now, like I said, we want to talk about the Rule 5 guys um, to kind of set the stage. I think everybody that's listening to this podcast knows Rule 5 are minor leaguers after, and you're going to correct me because I don't know this, but it's, what, is, it, is it six years in the organization? It depends on the age. age. It, it's all okay. about the age. So, you know, a, a lot of times you, if you don't find your way into a 40-man, you get seven minor league years, and it pretty much starts from when you sign. There's a date. Uh, that denotes like when you sign or, or, or when you play. So you usually have like seven years. We'll talk about Nick Dunn here in a minute. He's kind of the perfect example of this. Okay. But uh, for players over 19, and again, it's I'm, I'm going to end up ruining it. I'm going to end up getting it wrong. But I think uh, over the age of 19, it's four years. Under the age of 19, it's five years to be Rule 5 eligible. Okay. That, that does sound right, and that may exp- answer a question I was going to have later on, but we'll get to that later. Anyway, this um, these guys have to be protected on the roster at the 40, and they're going to be protected early in the – I think I – think I, let me double-check. I looked. They have to be protected by November 15th. Um, so they have to be added to the 40-man roster, which means obviously there has to be people – there has to be room on the 40-man roster. Um, these are also not necessarily guys – I mean, they're guys that the Cardinals like, they're also guys that they think maybe another organization would take because, as we all know, if you get taken in the Rule 5 draft or the Major League portion of it at least, then you have to go be on the active roster of that team for the entire year. We saw that. Well, we should have seen that with Wilkie Rodriguez this year until he got hurt, but um, we've seen it in the past, and, and I think everybody knows how that works. Um, Kyle directed me to, to roster resource on Fanagraphs today, which um, which helps because everybody they have a listing – a notation of of who is rule five eligible i'm going to go by their their word on this um but there are a lot of names a lot of names so i i kind of divided them up into names i don't know and names i think have been a little bit more prevalent in um either they've been around longer or i just happen to know them who knows uh probably because kyle's talked a lot about them that's that's usually how i know anybody (laughs) in the minor leagues so let me give you about four or five of these names I don't know. We'll just kind of go through them a bit and you can tell me if there's anything to any of these. Uh, and we'll do it alphabetically. Um, uh, we've got to start with, uh, and again, I will butcher all the names. Um, Aaron Antonini, Antonini, Benjamin Arias, Alexander Beltre, Jacob Butchberger, and Augusto Calderon. Jesus, you butchered that worse than I do. <laughs> And that is saying something. <laughs> uh, could I get him one more time? No. So Okay, so uh, Aaron Antonini is a catcher. He's from Venezuela, but he played at Middle Tennessee State. Uh, he was an 18th rounder. Um, I want to say from 2019 at this point, who can keep track? Antonini is a pretty, a, a pretty decent defensive catcher who has a little bit of pop from the left side who used to be a switch hitting catcher who um, – when the Cardinals brought him in the organization, he ended up just like committing full-time to hitting left-handed. And then last year, uh, this past season, the 2023 season, he started hitting, uh, he started, he went back to, to being a switch hitter, uh, still learning on the fly. But uh, again, no one there that you have to, uh, no one with Antonini that you have to worry about. Um, who are they? Let's go name by name if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it however you want to do it. Um, Arius was next. Yeah. Don't, you're fine there. What? Uh, yeah, that's a, that is one person that you're not going to have to worry about. I, I, oh, if it's gotcha. if it's somebody that I'm not, since you know me, I will rant right. on. Right, just just so say yeah, long. Yeah, that, yeah that just will, just yeah. just tell me 
no pass or whatever you know pass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll say what okay. I'll do is I'll what I'll do is I'll say Saruti and then Ben <laughs> will be in my uh, DMs asking me uh, for a detailed <laughs> report on this 24 year old uh, player who's never made it above high A I that, think- uh, I think that's a great thing. So if, if, if it's nobody we have to concern ourselves with, we will say Saruti. So um, <laughs> Eris is a Saruti. Uh, not not because we don't, Ben, that's not because we don't want to concern ourselves with you. It's because of what Kyle just said. I, I do want to clarify that. Love that. Uh, Beltre. Alexander uh, Beltre. Yeah, that's that's a Saruti. Okay. Jacob Buckberger. So Buckberger is interesting. Uh, he is another. He's one of those um, undrafted free agents. Plays third base mostly. It, it, he's not a person you have to like worry about uh, getting taken in the rule five, but he has surprising pop. He, he's one of the um, the more unheralded right-handed bats in the organization, and he plays like a really solid defensive third base. But nothing you really have to worry about there. Okay, and then Calderon. Yeah, same same kind of thing. As yeah. uh, the prerequisite for Sarude. Yeah. I figure we're probably going to get a lot of those in this, this stash, but uh, Jose Cordoba. Yeah, nothing to worry about there. Uh, Angel Konica? <laughs> no, nothing <laughs> to worry about there. Uh, Jose Davilia? Uh, so Davia is interesting. I, I, again, he's he's kind of in the yeah, Inohan Paniagua from last year. Again, we'll mm. talk about Paniagua here in a minute. And maybe now we just we we bail on this person by person, and we'll just focus on the names because I can't imagine what this is like. Now, normally I listen to this podcast. I, I listen to you and Alan or uh, whoever you have it with Alan as I'm driving, uh, you know, two hours uh, on the weekends. And this is normally where I would be laughing at the two of you as you went name by name. <laughs> so so maybe we won't do that. But um, Jose Devia, he was one of the Cardinals' top international prospects who does have some really good stuff, who hasn't made it above low A. Uh, at this point last year, you know, Han Paniagua had made it to high A. Um, so there's a little difference there. But I like Davia is one of those players that have actually won me over. When I watched him last year at Palm Beach, he, he did not impress me at all. Um, but he seemed to have sorted his stuff out. So uh, I would, part of the reason why I'm rambling now is that he might be a fun name to watch because he will most certainly uh, be back in the organization. Um next year so yeah n- nothing to worry about there but he's an interesting guy is that yeah i, yeah, I think what it, yeah. i think what it boils down to uh, for the for the the rule five right is sem reversa and adam klofenstein are two rule five guys right and the they're the two guys who the choir the cardinals acquired for um jordan hicks the patron my patron prospect not your patron prospect <laughs> you know and um but anyways, like th- those two guys, I would imagine the Cardinals will protect. Uh, as I mentioned to Daniel, as I mentioned to you before this, I I don't necessarily know if they would need to protect either under most circumstances. I don't I don't necessarily think that like Kloffenstein can throw ninety three, but he throws like between eighty nine and ninety one every start, uh, pretty you know as his average. And his stuff isn't particularly great, but it all kind of like does the same thing, but a little bit different. It's just enough to keep hitters off of it at the minor league level. And then Reversa is just so far away to me. Like, he, he made huge strides throughout the year, but um, I would suspect that those are the two names that you can go ahead and pencil in onto the Cardinals 40-man once they start sorting out the 40-man. Uh, it, it's just like a couple other names that end up, you know, uh, with all due respect to someone like Nick Raposo, 
or a Chandler Redmond, who I love with all my heart. You know, Redmond at this point is a 26-year-old who hasn't made it above double A. Uh, uh, teams are a little bit more aggressive about, or I guess a little bit more conservative now, but uh, about mm-hmm. who they select for the major league section of the Rule 5 draft. So uh, what, it, what it boils down to is it's, it's going to be the Cardinals will add Roberta and they'll add Kloffenstein almost certainly, even though they might not need to, but they'll do it just to protect themselves, especially because of the trade. And then it's really like a group of older prospects that that I don't know what to make of and what the Cardinals might do with. And, and that, that group of prospects where I would normally say that I don't think the Cardinals would add them. Uh, I think someone like, like the, the couple that come to my mind, Nick Dunn kind mm-hmm. of leads this group. Nick Dunn is a 20, I think he'll be 27 to start the year. He'll almost certainly be 27 during next season. Uh, but a 27 year old second baseman who they've tried to move to, to third a couple times. Who's, who's very clunky as a defender, um, especially with this throwing mechanics, but who has absolutely elite bat to ball skills and who has incredible hand eye coordination and who has uh, a, he's just, he's a contact tool all the way around against lefties and against righties. And in my mind, there's a legitimate chance that someone would like, I guess if I, if I'm running another organization and I don't have a second baseman option or I've got somebody that's like, whatever, he is absolutely somebody that I would think about bringing. You have nothing to lose. He's 26. His development is already through. Uh, it, it's all about contact. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's, there's you know, um, Cardinal legend. There's there potentially, maybe not like Donovan Solano level, but maybe Ramon Urias level or something like that. Like, it's hard for me to imagine a, a, a way in which his bat to ball skill doesn't play if he's allowed to play second base. And I, I'm not saying he's going to hit 300 with the 400 on base percentage, but you know, there, there are teams out there who will be able to utilize that to bridge a gap to another prospect. Um, so Nick Dunn is a, is a name that I, I might keep an eye on. I, I don't think the Cardinals will put him on the 40 man. And in a way, I, I hope they don't. I hope he gets a chance to make a major league debut somewhere else. I hope some team does take a chance on him. And then I think the other interesting name is, is Logan Sawyer. And you know, you just never know. Logan Sawyer is an older prospect. The Cardinals, he, you know, he became famous because of pitching Ninja last year, uh, who retweeted him uh, and showed his stuff off. And the Cardinals signed him to a minor league deal. Uh, he's Rule 5 eligible. And I think that, um, you know, a little bit older, kind of like Wilking Rodriguez in a way. I think, and he, you know, he throws a split finger which is a pitch that the Cardinals didn't really utilize enough while he was in the organization. And I do think that there's a real good chance that he finds like a team takes a flyer on him, similar to how the Cardinals did with Wilking Rodriguez, Um, you know, and and no disrespect to Dalton Roach or some of the other names. I I really think it just kind of boils down to that small group. You know, I I love, I love Pedro Pajes, who is a a catcher at double a made his way to triple a in 2022, but you know, he's not a fully developed prospect. No one's going to take a chance on him or Antonini or Raposo, that group of catchers. Um, and then everyone else is just kind of like a weird, a weird wild card or too far away uh, from the majors to, to even really worry about being taken in the major league side of the, uh, the, the rule five draft. So uh, as I complete my, my ranting, uh, I guess the only other two names that I can think of are Matt Caperniak and Chase Pinder, who are both older 
Kaepernick being a left-handed corner outfielder and Chase Pender being a right-handed corner outfielder, both above the age of 25. You know, uh, Pender will be 28 for the age uh, for the 2024 season, and Kaepernick will be 26 for the the 2024 season. I, you know, I don't really see a team taking a chance on or you know eating a roster spot uh, on their 40 man for a, a player like either of those guys. You know, uh, th- there's a couple things that have changed in the Rule Five Draft, and teams don't really do that with with those players anymore, and they also don't do it with players that are farther removed uh, from the majors. So that's why that's why I haven't talked about Ian Bedell. And I haven't talked mm-hmm. about Enohan Paniagua. And I also wanted to leave that open because I'm sure that you would ask. But it's it like Bedell and Paniagua didn't make it past high A. And Bedell can get it into the high 90s. He just doesn't do it a lot. Um, he's usually He usually needs to be pretty amped. But those players that haven't made it to double A, even if they're a little bit older, it, a team usually only takes a chance on them if they have uh, – like an incredible command tool that goes along with robust velocity and movement. And that's why for me, why I personally wouldn't take any chances with Ian Bedell, I would probably add him to the 40 man. I don't think the Cardinals absolutely need to. So um, yeah, I would say that those are probably the names uh, to focus on and to, uh, you know, to, to move this direction into, I guess the only other thing I want to say is part of the reason why I always have trouble with the, the four and five year thing is because I do it mentally by years. So if a player mm-hmm. was drafted out of college in, um, I guess, in 2020, right? Yeah, in 2020, then they're Rule 5 eligible. And if they were an international signee or a prep player, then it would be 2019. And that's – I every year I just push it up one year. So next right. year, of course, it'll be 21 and 20. So that's I, – I don't think about the year – the their age. I think about the years. And that's why – Tacoa Roby's not on this list, right? Mm-hmm. Because he was drafted in 20, just like Bedell was. And so, you know, thinking, I think about it because I wasn't thinking about it like that. I was thinking about it in draft classes. And that's why I realized he wasn't on this list, but it's the age issue that's, mm-hmm. that's getting him. Yeah. Okay. A prep player, uh, you know, in 2020. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You hit most of the ones that I was thinking of. Um, the only other name that kind of came to mind or I noted mainly because they sent him to the Arizona Fall League was Jeremy Rebus. Um, yeah. Is he still, is he another one that's far enough away? You don't think they have to worry about it, even though he's getting a little bit, I don't want to say showcase, but a little bit more of that. Yeah, that's a weird one. They they have a love affair with that kid. And he's he's a baseball rat. He's a, he has the potential to be a really great defensive shortstop, like even potentially elite defensive shortstop. He just, he makes some weird errors here and there gets himself out of position in a weird way and he doesn't really have much of a stick. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I think back in the last couple of years, they've, they've done this with, with players. Uh, it's usually pitchers. It's usually not the position players. Um, I, I think they just, I think he's the kind of player that you put in that league. If you're a team that didn't like push him just to see what he's capable of. Um, you know, I know he got off to a pretty decent start in the Arizona fall league. Uh, I don't. I don't think it'll continue. I don't think he has the bat for that. Um, but it might. And at that point, maybe another team finds interest in him because of how good of a defensive shortstop he has the potential to be. Um, and also, it gives you a chance to kind of evaluate him against better talent. So I know there's also a minor league section of the Rule Five Draft. What are the rules there? Because I know they're slightly different. Yeah, that's a whole thing, man. That's a whole <laughs> thing. Uh, you know. 
I think the best way to handle that is, yeah. Generally, what happens is all of these names uh, on that we've mentioned, so um, that that we don't think are going to be on the forty man, they'll get added to the AAA roster so that they're kind of protected uh, from the minor league phase. Because the, basically, the gist is you have to if you if you pick somebody in the minor league phase of, of the Rule Five, they have to go to a level above where they were at. Wow. Um, you know, actually, I, maybe the best way to do it. Uh, with the minor league rule five, because it is a little bit more convoluted. Uh, it, it probably the best way is to find the actual definition and read it. Um, I, I don't feel like I do a good enough job and I, I always end up missing something. So uh, if, if you, as I ramble on and on uh, can, can maybe track that down. I, I think, I think that's probably the, the, the same thing, but the, it's the same players are, the same players and their age and when they entered an organization, those same rules apply for the minor league phase as they do the major league phase for players, not on the 40 man. Of course, once you enter, once you're added onto the 40 man, you are automatically uh, exempt from the rule five. It's a beautiful thing. You actually get a pretty, I mean, nowadays minor leaguers get a better paycheck than what they got, but now you get a really good paycheck uh, as compared. So yeah, that's uh that's, that's really the gist of the, the, the minor league phase. It's just, basically everybody is kind of in that pool and uh, they can be taken and, and moved up or kept at that same level. So uh, did you have any luck tracking it down? Actually quickly. Yeah. Um, it looks like that. Uh, yeah. If they're not on the 20 on the 38 man AAA roster, yeah. they can be taken by another team and that team can put them wherever they want to. Okay. Uh, actually uh, it can any be level. signed to any level. So, and they don't have to be added to a 40 man or active roster. So, um, so we do see a little bit of that at, at times, um, but nothing that's usually, you're right. Anybody that's anybody that's anybody is going to be on that 38 man AAA roster. And you're not going to see that gone too often. There, so. There's like a 40% chance that, that, uh, any level is from the last collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. But I don't, probably. I, I mean, I could also be making it up to be honest with you. I haven't drank any booze tonight, so I I'm off my game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's always it's always dangerous when Kyle is sober. So, um, but uh, yeah, okay, that makes sense, and um, and that helps too because honestly, I thought we would probably you know I was thinking there was going to be more people added to that list, and I would, the, the math was not really working out real well. So that <laughs> that probably does help as well because I mean, you know, the fewer they have to add, the the easier it is for them to free up you know free up spots and stuff like that and, and maybe keep some people on the major league roster that they still want to keep. Yeah. I would suspect that we'll see them like last year. They took, they took quite a few players comparatively in the minor league phase of the rule five. Uh, Brandon Comar comes to mind, Ryan Shreve, uh, Kenny Hernandez were some players that they took in the minor league phase of the rule five. I would suspect that the Cardinals are pretty aggressive with that again this year too. Um, okay. Yeah. I think that, that all, that all works. I'm sure that obviously depth plays a role at, at these positions on who they keep and stuff like that. But if they're far enough down, then it, that doesn't, that doesn't really matter either. So, okay. All right. That sounds good. Um, and is there anything else minors related that I should know about? Well, uh, normally when people ask me questions about <laughs> minors, 
Leads. <laughs> oh boy. No. So, uh, you know, I don't think there really is, especially as far as the rule five goes. I think what I'm most fascinated in as a fan, uh, maybe not as a, as a talking head is I can't wait to see how they maneuver their 40 man. Cause the 40 man mm-hmm. is such a, it's such a cluster. So yeah. I, you know, I, I, that's what I'm most anxious for. I'm anxious to see how all of the, the current the current pieces that they have fall into place because, you know, as we talked about Jose Fermin, not to say he's anything good, but like the Cardinals are kind of in a spot where they, they have to either keep him around or find somebody who can actually play shortstop right. uh, on a minor league deal. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, you know, I, for, for my money, you know, I, I don't think there's anything specifically in the minor league side uh, from a roster, a, a Cardinals, um, a forty-man roster construction point that that we need to really focus on. I, again, I, I think that uh, Robersa and Kloffenstein are the obvious ads. Um, we we probably do need to spend a little bit more time talking about Bedell. Um, I, I I do think that there is a small chance that another team would take Bedell. And like I said earlier, I, I definitely think he's the kind of guy that I would probably hold on to. Uh, I, I might even add to the forty-man, but you know. Uh, you know, Han Paniagua is not, you know, they didn't take him last year and granted he's a year older now, but he didn't make it above high A. He's pitching in the Arizona Fall League, but he's just, I, I don't think that that's, that is an area you have to worry about. But I think the lesson that you can take from, from Paniagua from last year is a lesson that you can apply to Bedell this year. It just, it's just maybe some team, you know, that, that 2020 draft is fascinating because teams some teams really did their homework mm-hmm. and the Cardinals had to go over slot for Bedell. So in like the back of my mind, those teams know Ian Bedell pretty well. They know that he <laughs> understands and applies advanced metrics, knows how to read advanced data, use modern techniques and technology. There, there is a real chance that there's a team out there that knows that he's capable of dialing it up. Um, especially now that he's healthy and might actually, uh, take a chance on him as a bullpen option now that he's a little bit older uh, for a major league team. So, uh, you know, I think, I think Clough and Santa Reversa are, are dead set. And I think it just comes down to Bedell, uh, how their 40 man roster shakes, how many spots they have open once they clear that, that they wipe that thing clean. Uh, and then I would suspect that there's like a 65 to 70% chance that they add Bedell but but everyone else is just kind of like fair game at this point, I would think. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. That would that would make sense, and I could I could see that. I, yeah. But but L is like it's pretty interesting. He's like one of the only guys right from that twenty three draft that's not in the major league. So yeah. Um, yeah. You know they uh, Levi Prater they released, mm-hmm. and then L J Jones, who is also Rule Five eligible, right. he. He's kind of a part-time player, uh, first baseman, outfielder, mostly a DH uh, in Springfield, and he he also shows signs of being an interesting bat. So that 2020 draft was something else. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you can concentrate it down and you know, and have a whole lot of time when you can't do anything else, that that helps. And you know, you know, give all the credit to, to Flores and all the company because I don't know. I mean, everybody had the same issues, but I don't know that anybody's had as good of a draft as that. I, I mean, maybe they have, I, I, but I don't know. I mean, it's very difficult for, you know, almost every one of your 
draft people to be in the majors this, this quickly. Uh, I, I can't imagine there's too many teams out there that, that were any better. I think the Dodgers, um, the Dodgers and someone else, they, uh, there were, there were two teams that were right along the lines of the Cardinals, but uh, again, two teams, I think probably give you a good idea of just how difficult yeah. it is and, and how rare it is. Let's look at the flip side. Is it fair to say that Moises Gomez will not be on the 40 man when it comes to mid November? I'm really glad we're getting into this. I think that the two guys that stick out to me, Moises Gomez and Juan Yepes. I cannot mm-hmm. wait to right. see what they do with Juan Yepes. Um, you know, I love Juan. I love I love Juan. Candidly, I love that family. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a I have a bit of a personal stake in this. Uh, I'm not speaking for them or saying anything, but as just somebody who, and again, I haven't talked to them in a while. But I, I hope that he gets a chance to go somewhere else. It just, it seemed, it seems like it's just not working here. You know, uh, whether that be at Memphis, and again, this is not, this is not anything from him or the family or any of that stuff. This is just as somebody who watches minor league baseball. I think, I think Juan Yepes and Moises Gomez. I think there's a real chance both of those guys find their way out for the forty man. Gomez is interesting because they still haven't given him a shot, and of course they went in other directions. Siani uh, at the end of the year, but. It does seem kind of like, hey, they they aren't happy with something there, and of course, there's plenty to be critical about. But yeah, I I would say that I would say that there's plenty of guys on the forty man that they're probably going to make aggressive decisions with. I'm guessing they're going to make aggressive decisions with. So I I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Moises Gomez and maybe even Juan Yepes were two of the casualties of a aggressive changing off uh, uh, front office and off season. Yeah, I don't think you have to, to look any farther than I believe it's his father's uh, ah. Twitter account to, to know what the how the FS family is, is feeling about uh, the opportunities there. Uh, you know, again, that's his father, and, and maybe Juan's not quite that way. But uh, and and I think it's fair. I mean, you know, we have seen a lot of uh, you know interesting decisions made with those two guys. And again, when like you said, when Siani got called up. Um, instead of Gomez, I thought that was, that was pretty telling in my book because I mean, the season's lost. You've already got Gomez on your 40 man roster. Uh, you know, why are you not, you know, just bringing up to see, you know, to see if he can hit, you know, he's, he's obviously got the, the power, but they didn't. And I, I mean, I, I just feel like that's a, that's a huge tell in my book. Yeah, me too. That's a good read. I think. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, and there's of course you know a lot of guys that came up this off that you know were just filler, um, and we're going to see a lot of turnover. But I, you know, like I wrote today at the Substack, um, you know, we could see fourteen, fifteen guys off this forty man one way or another, and that's a lot of turnover, right? I mean, you maybe see this track it a little bit better than I do, but it feels like you know, eight, nine, maybe 10 is, is probably on the high end. When you're seeing a third of these people roll, uh, roll off, that's, that's a different story. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I know that there are people out there, like when you're watching, when you're watching the social media thing happen, uh, there are people out there who are like, they'll respond to a tweet about it being an interesting off season as not with this front office. Well, you know what? <laughs> Even if the front office doesn't do anything, it's still interesting. And it starts with the 40-man construction and and just who they drop off of it. Because 
I mean, there are eight guys who are going to come off of that thing right away. And then you're going to have to deal with me complaining about Dakota Hudson for, for as long as you could possibly imagine. Oh, I'm and, right there with you. And uh, which, by the way, uh, again, as someone who enjoys listening to this podcast, there's nothing there. One of my favorite things is to hear you two try to figure out like the Dakota Hudson uh, uh, paradigm or whatever. <laughs> like there's no figuring it out. I personally don't I cannot imagine a situation in which the St. Louis Cardinals cut bait on Dakota Hudson. And I know that there's some thought out there that maybe they'll offer him a below arbitration number salary, uh, or or maybe they 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 uh, non tender him and they bring him back on a different deal. I, I don't know. I, I see that three million dollars, and I view it differently. I, I, the three, three, two, three, four, whatever it is, I view that as certainty. Uh, I view that mm-hmm. as the Cardinals' litmus test is what I view that as. Because if they if they've learned any lessons at all. It'll be that contract that they'll say, but I like to manage against you. Uh, but <laughs> so uh, like that's that's what I think. Uh, it's not it's not Jake Woodford that the 700, whatever it is, or the 100 yeah. or the mill or whatever. Like that's give or take, get rid of it, blah, blah, blah. It, you know, Jacob Woodford, thank you for your service to the community. It, it's it's that Dakota Hudson contract. Because not only should they not bring him back at that number, but they should not bring him back at any number. But I, if I'm wrong, the non-tender deadline is pretty early in the off-season festivities, right? It's November, like in November. November 17th. It's two days after the Rule 5 protection deadline. So as we enter that off-season, nothing, nothing – it does not make any sense if you followed anything that the Cardinals have done for them to just start letting pitchers go – when they need a safety net, because we know, again, I love Gordon Graceffo, uh, Sam Roberta, Sam Roberta has grown on me. Kloffenstein is a wild thing to watch because he pitches like he's from 1994. Uh, and you know, Michael McGreevy also pitches like he's from 1994, but quicker. And it's like, <laughs> I, I like all those guys, but we learned from 2023 that they don't have reserves. They only have what they have. Uh, and I do think that Graceffa will make a push. I think Roby will make a push. I think Hens might make a push. Uh, but I, I, I don't, I cannot imagine this front office saying this guy here who filled innings for us, even though he can't miss bats, uh, uh, but we have this defense that we still trust in, especially on the infield defense. I cannot imagine them cutting bait with him uh, that early in the offseason because that's just another arm they have to replace. You know, the, I think the thing that gets lost in here, we, we've talked about three starting pitchers, and we've also talked about the need for bullpen. But every arm that they lose is an arm that they have to find backup with. And you might think Roberta and Kloffenstein and Rom are these arms, but they're not. They, they just, they aren't. Uh, Roby might be uh, in a year or so, maybe even by June or July. Those guys aren't, and and you know maybe the Cardinals are looking at it like okay, Cloffenstein, uh, 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 it's Cloffenstein too. It's not Cloffenstein. Cloffenstein, uh, you know uh, he doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but he keeps the ball on the ground pretty good. Maybe he can fill fill backfill for Hudson. Yeah, I'm, I don't even know if I necessarily believe that. I, I think that there's some J- Jacob Woodford there with him, but I, I guess all I'm trying to say is like. What Dakota Hudson is, is he's a relatively inexpensive insurance policy for an organization that is still trying to figure out their plan pitching and who they've invested in and who's entering a relatively modest uh, 
prove another prove it year for him. So I can't, I cannot wait to see what happens with Dakota Hudson, because I think, I think we'll learn more about the Cardinals organization moving forward into the 2024 season by how they handle Dakota Hudson than any other player on the 40 man, or maybe even in the organization. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty good bellwether. Um, you know, in my current sketching, I had them getting rid of him, but I had the same arguments that, yeah, that they do want that depth. They do want that arm that they know what they're going to get. It may not be good, but they know what it is. Um, and I've kind of gone back and forth worrying over that and trying to set my personal bias aside on that. Yeah. Um, and you also, so. you also have to rebuild your bullpen. Mm-hmm. And if you like, what did they pay for Chris Stratton last year? You know what? Two and a half million dollars or whatever it was. Yeah. Somewhere in that. Well, I would imagine that they'd be willing to pay an extra million dollars for certainty. And if they have to put him in the bullpen to have that Stratton role, all things considered, there are worse ways to spend three and a half million dollars. Um, you know, I guess it all depends on how much money they, they project to spend on their three rotation options. But yeah, like I, I, I think you nailed it. The, 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 the bellwether of it all. I think, I think that's, I think it's, uh, I think that's where it is. I, I think we'll know pretty quickly. I think that's a good thing about the non-tender deadline being that early is we'll have our first, they, they'll have their first test. I mean, we say we'll have ours, but it'll be their first test. What they do from a non-tender standpoint with that 40, that disastrous 40 man. Yeah. I, I think it may be, I think even you may have an even interesting move or maybe not depending on the numbers, but you've got all these guys that are coming off the 60 day that have to go back on the, yeah. the major league roster, like what immediately after the world series, basically. Right. And That's I right. Mean, you'll, you'll have two spots with, Verhagen and Wainwright being gone, but you still got to find three for these other ones or you don't keep them. And I think, you know, I think that's going to be, I think maybe the other thing's going to be interesting. It's not as indicative as, as Hudson, but what do they do with Wilking Rodriguez? Do they offer him back to the Yankees or do they think that he's got enough potential that they're still going to hold on to him, even though he was hurt all year this year and they know they have to put him on the, you know, the 26 man next year. Um, I, I, I think there's arguments both ways on that. And I think it's gonna be very interesting to see where they land on it. My guess there, uh, you know, they granted the 26 man of it all makes it difficult, but mm-hmm. I, I think they'd be nuts to cut bait there, you know, unless his, yeah. unless his arm is torched, you know, there, there's some, it seemed like not, there's some rumors. It just seemed like at the end of the year, after the arm concern that they had throughout the year, uh, that his arm might be more of an issue. I, I think, I, I think that I think his arm health will probably play into that. You know, we we saw them mm-hmm. cut bait on like Jake Walsh while he had arm issues, and that that's one thing that they they've been pretty quick about uh, letting players go, letting pitchers go if if their arm is compromised. Um, uh, you know, I can't the. They, they've done it. They've done it a couple times now in the last. Ryan week. Sheriff would would point that out, I think, to some degree too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, of course, that was getting surgery and not necessarily letting them know about it too. Did not did not help. Um, but uh, and he went on to have obviously had a fairly decent career. Saw so he just retired what this this off season. So, um, but you know, as you often say, they make it to the major league. They've had a pretty good career. 
Yeah, um, yeah that's a know. legend right there, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Freddie Pacheco. Um, sorry, Freddie Pacheco was another one. Oh, he started yeah, having arm yeah. problems and they cut him off at 40. Sorry, right. that's, I, I, you're right. I, you know how this works. All of a sudden I start just yelling names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, uh, you remember which show you're on when you start yelling stuff. So <laughs> uh, keep it, keep it uh, at least somewhat PG. Um, but yeah, that's right, because that was the one, that was this off this, this year, right? That, that yeah, that's right. Cut him at the very end, and everybody was like, why are you doing this? And then, yeah, then, then, then they understood why they were doing that. So, um, yeah, all right. Um, anything else baseball-related? We're at, like, 45 minutes in. Yeah. Uh, if there's anything else baseball-related you wish to speak about, um, now's the time. Yeah, you know, it's it's tough because we've gone all this time talking about baseball and we really haven't talked about Victor Scott the second. But... Well, that was, yeah, that was, I did think about that a minute ago. I wanted to at least have you an opportunity to speak on him, but uh, that's that's a fun kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think what we have and what, maybe what the Cardinals have done with some of their hitting prospects is that they've, uh, they've just, they've got fun kids, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, and I don't know what's going to end up happening with Victor Scott. I, I don't know what kind of player he's going to end up being. Um, you know, I have my doubts. I have my excitements. I I would never doubt the kid, honestly, because, you know, he's such a competitor and he's so driven and he has such a unique set of tools. And it's a, it's such a unique set of tools that I don't even know how to, like, gauge it as compared to other minor leaguers that have come through the organization. It's it just it's a tough – it's a whole tough thing to, like, uh, to quantify and, and to grasp. But – you know, I hope that he does get to where where he's capable of being, because that he's just such a special a special young man and a, a special baseball player that I think, you know, I, I think he can I think he bridges the gap between the old school and the new school fans because he does all of the things that you you talk about you know hitting the ball hard, um, you know, uh, patience when it's time to be patient, but he also plays defense and runs bases and steals bases and. You know, I, I just think, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm quick to be a little bit, you know this, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to prospects. I'm not a big fan of rushing prospects in any way. I, I love the fact that the Cardinals have adjusted this year um, in 2023, that they that they adjusted this past season and kind of pumped the brakes on some of these prospects because uh, we've seen players make it, to the organiz- make it to the majors. Players from the organization make it to the majors and somewhat be unprepared. And it's not like uh, organizational preparedness. It's like, it's just when you go from the Texas League to what was the Pacific Coast League and is now the International League of AAA, they're, they're such friendly hitter environments. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of times the guys are getting uh, – they're not, like, starting the year at the level. If they start the year at the level, they're at the major league level uh, by the end of the year. It's like at the end of the year when the talent is kind of thinned out, they make it to AAA, and it's hard to adjust, and they're, they're hammering the baseball. And, you know, uh, I, I think that – Pumping the brakes on development is kind of important because it takes a little bit longer for a player to adjust at the major league level, um, and some players can't do it. Some players need to find a different air, like a different organization to do it. Some players, you know, it, they might not ever do it. So I, I just think I think pumping the brakes, being a little less aggressive with some of the promotions, I think it'll I think it'll pay off in the long run. So when, when we start talking about like a timetable for Victor Scott the second, uh, you know, I, I would still say that, you know, hopefully everything goes well enough for the Cardinals outfield that he 
maybe makes a major league debut at the end of next year. Hopefully the Cardinals are mm-hmm. winning. Hopefully whatever they do in the outfield, which I have absolutely no feel of, uh, whatever they decide to do out there um, works out for them. And it's not until spring training of 2025. Is that, would that be the year? Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Think about that. How hard is that to like wrap your head around? Pretty much, yeah. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to think about it because that's you know, twenty twenty five is when I turn fifty, so I'm not going to no. <laughs> think about that for a while still. So, well, guess what? Um, I will be thinking about nonstop for the next year and a half. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like yeah that I I really want to see a Cardinal team with Victor Scott the second and Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker on on it, yeah. but. It did feel like you know September is is kind of the fast part. I, I saw somebody on on Twitter. There's you know, of course, and I know you know how this is the hype that gets around these guys, and everybody thinks they're going to be in the majors, you know, next week. Um, uh, you know, saying you know, do the Cardinals need to you know start clearing a spot for him this offseason? I'm like, no. I mean, one one they got to figure out their outfield situation to begin with, but you know, he's not going to be ready until later in the year if, if that, and so, you know, you don't, you'd rather have to make room for him when he's ready, you know, make him force you into that rather than trying to clear a spot and then him just, you know, fall on his face, which I I hope he doesn't, but you know, that's, that's just what you got to do. I I think that, like you said, you can't be too, 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 you want to be conservative about how they go up. Yeah. Yeah. Development Something I get annoyed with by prospect people is they're they're quick to say development isn't linear, and it isn't. It just isn't, and I get that. But I do think that you can ruin a prospect by being overly aggressive with them mm-hmm. because of the mental. I think I think the mental side of baseball is just one that is unquantifiable, and without knowing each individual person to their core, um, you can't really you can't really gauge exactly how a person's going to handle it. Like the Cardinals in particular do a great job of doing uh, a research on all of these players when they draft them. But, you know, I, I think, I think about how, and we were talking about how old I've gotten uh, before we got on here, but like uh, at, at the organization for I work at, that I work at, like I worked with those guys day in and day out, you know, since I was 20 and no matter how I was influenced by them, all of the stuff that happened to me between the ages of 20 and 23 in my personal life influenced my work life. Uh, mm-hmm. So you just, you just never know. And again, I'm projecting and I'm assuming that's how it is with a lot of other people uh, assuming that I'm a person and <laughs> I, you're, you're like what you're learning and what you're going through in life affects you. So there's just, it's so hard to quantify exactly what a person is going through and how they're going to take that into their job because baseball is a job right. for these, for these players. So I just, you just never know how things are going to work out. But that's why I'm, I think if you can take a little bit of the developmental pressure off of a player by being maybe a little bit more conservative, I think that it does everybody better in the long run. You know, I think Mason Wynn is the perfect example of this, right? The Cardinals called him up when he was mashing at AAA. And, (laughs) you know, he struggled. He struggled at the major league level. And even, even better, the Cardinals were bad. And we all knew he was going to struggle at the major league level, and he got a chance to struggle. That hopefully, that well, first off, I guess that is something that Cardinals prospects have not had in basically my lifetime. You know, I'm not my not my full lifetime, but in my adulthood, 
the mm -hmm. Cardinal prospect has not had that. If you're going to be a Cardinal prospect and you're going to be on the 40 man, you're going to be on the 26 man, then you're going to contribute and you're going to have to contribute. And if you're not contributing, then you're a disappointment. It's just that simple to, to the fans. And, you know, unfortunately, maybe not to the front office. But, um, <laughs> but now it was, it was a perfect timing for this young man to come up to the majors and struggle. And I think that he'll be better for it. But hopefully that's the last time that the Cardinals are in a position uh, as someone who hated watching them be really bad this year, uh, that they're in a position to let a prospect fail in order to get better at the major league level. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe a year from now, the Cardinals got, you know, their, their three, uh, their three starting free agent pitchers were, um, you know, uh, Jason Simontachi and Braden Looper <laughs> and uh, Garrett Stevenson. And uh, they brought in Jason Isringhausen to close because he's already in the dugout. And uh, they, they, you know, they tried Omar Oliveris, but he was hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he uh, he actually was having a hip replacement, so they yeah. couldn't uh, they couldn't get Omar Oliveris <laughs> in there. Uh, Pat Henkin came in, threw one pitch, his arm exploded, and <laughs> um, <laughs> but ho hopefully they're not in a position ever again because it was miserable to let a prospect struggle in order for a chance to be good uh, in September. So mm -hmm. that's, that's my thought. Let's just, let's give this young man a chance to, um, to get his legs underneath him. You know, I, in my mind, you know, Takoa Roby is, is, I was hoping that we would see out of Gordon Graceffo this year, what we would end up seeing, what I'm hopeful we'll see out of Takoa Roby next year. And that is, I was hopeful that we get to see him be a reliever at the end of this year, uh, Takoa Roby next year, um, mm -hmm. with a chance to be in a rotation the following year. Because I, I, it just always seems like ideal to me for, to be in that role, that your starting rotation is so good that you don't need him. And, you know, of course, your right. bullpen's going to falter once a month because bullpens falter. And you'd be able to go to this, this young, promising arm that would help be a stopgap until the next year. Uh, so that's, uh, you know... Let's keep a close eye on Roby. Let's keep a close eye on uh, Cooper Jerpy if that arm is healthy and what we're seeing out of the Arizona is, is pretty healthy. Um, those two might be the guys who, as we enter August of next year, we're talking about hopefully uh, because the, the starting rotation is solid as relief options uh, if, if the Cardinals didn't address their bullpen needs, whether it be this offseason or, um, you know, midway through the year. So, I uh, again, I, I think that, as the prospect, as one of the people who writes about prospects and talks about prospects, I think uh, I think it's important to touch on Jerpy and Roby and Victor Scott the uh, second, and probably plenty other ones like Jimmy Crooks the um, second, you know uh, Leonardo Bernal. Um, there, there's you know some other players, you know maybe Michael McGreevy a little bit who I'm sure will make a debut in 2024. Um, again, none of these players should be relied on, uh, as you enter the 2024 season to be a contributor. Right? And if, and if you, if you've started to pencil these players in as an organization, as a front office, um, then you're, you're probably doing it wrong. You probably don't have as good of a grasp on just how far away from being a, you know, 90 to 95 win playoff team as, uh, as you need to. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Just, I, I think that, I think that there's a, the front end of the organization talent wise is fascinating. I think that it can be elite uh, with some of those names we just brought up. It's just a matter of like how one Ben Cho continues to develop, who also could be elite, who might already be an elite prospect, but 
isn't an elite baseball player just yet. Uh, and, uh, you know, Edwin Nunez, who is a flamethrowing relief pitcher, what they'll do with him, how they'll plan on using him as a, uh, whether it be a, in a relief role or move him back to a starter role. Um, 2024, again, we're not anywhere near it, but there's plenty of intrigue for the St. Louis Cardinals prospects as we enter 2024. Yeah, which is is interesting for sure. I mean, you know, you hate, uh, you hate the path that it took to get there, but um Hopefully that's just a pit stop on back to back to normalcy. So, all right. Well, we've gone about an hour. I will let anybody that doesn't want to listen to us talk about star Wars go on. Huh. You can, you know, you get, you're not going to miss anything else out. If you want to drop it off here. Uh, I will also warn that, you know, we have watched everything up to now and I do not promise that there are not spoilers in this. If you have not seen. Oh, we're gonna like spoil- we are going to spoil so much. So, if you are dropping out, thanks for joining us. We will be with you. Alan and I will be with you in about a week, and and hopefully we'll start getting into this the the forty man roster math. But uh, until then, we'll talk to you later. All right, Kyle. Boo those people. <laughs> uh, to be fair, most people haven't made it this far anyway. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, they, they, after about two minutes, they were like, "There's no Alan. Uh, we're out of here." Yeah, um, so, oh, that's how I felt yeah. too. God, yeah. Had you not so. called me a special that special person in your life, which you didn't <laughs> say, uh, I would have left too. Yeah, I understand that. I had to do something to keep you around. <laughs> so, um, the state of the Star Wars universe now. Uh, we've had what six shows? Jesus. We still have haven't had any six movies. Shows? Well, I mean, you've got uh, Mando. If you count the seasons, I guess oh, okay. three Mandos. A Boba Fett, uh, a Kenobi, and Ahsoka. I think that's it. I don't think I missed anything yet. So, um, does the one episode of Mandalorian inside of the book of Boba Fett count as one season? <laughs> uh, okay, so we've had six point one seasons <laughs> <laughs> that way. Um, so, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? In your opinion, is it? just uneven what are your thoughts overall on what we've seen on disney plus i really thought it was getting worse with mandalorian season three i mean i felt it was it was fine television watching right i think Mm -hmm. i think that the uh the escape the escapism of it all was there and that's that's really all you're looking for of course if it's great then it's great and you're happy and you want to talk about it and talk about it but like yeah, I definitely thought that season three of Mandalorian was a step back. I thought that there was some fun stuff. I thought that they left some threads hanging that, you know, I'm anxious to see how the Filoni uh, movie and, you know, him him bringing the universe together uh, in that era is going to, going to happen. But, yeah, you know, I definitely thought it was a step we were headed in the wrong direction, but... I I loved Ahsoka. You know, I love Rebels and I love Clone Wars, so, I you know, I, I guess... I'm a little biased or I, you know, I, I have an investment in these characters at the very least, but I, I love the pacing. I love that they didn't show their cards. I know that, that, that like my understanding is one of the criticisms of Ahsoka is that, you know, at the last episode, all of a sudden they're just showing, uh, uh, you know, Balon and they're just showing, um, uh, I can't think what her name is right now character the, the Balon's uh, uh apprentice uh, Shin 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 I, Shin, I almost yeah. called her Siri I don't know what the heck is going Shin, on there but Shin Hati, I think yeah so 
and then they just show her lighting the lightsaber and otherwise they're they're lost in the episode and like i i don't like yes they're lost in the episode but that's fine you know mm-hmm. I, I like the way that they it, it started to like slowly unravel I, I love marvel shows i love star wars shows i feel like one thing that disney has done with these properties is they'll build slow for four episodes and then the fifth episode and the sixth episode of a, of a season or the sixth mm-hmm. or the seventh or eighth will just be like, all right, we got to tie up everything right now. And right. they didn't do that. You know, I would have loved for Ahsoka to be like four more episodes and that for them to get to whatever's coming next. But I like that they didn't push everything and, and they still did push some things, right? All of a sudden, um, again, spoilers, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Ezra's there in front of Hera and right. How, how he got off of the ship is something that I would love to see. I would have, like, definitely something I would have loved to have had fleshed out. Maybe we'll get to see that. But, um, yeah, I, I thought Ahsoka was a step back in the right direction. But I also think it's been a little uneven because you had Boba Fett, which was weird. And then you had uh, Andor, which was also weird, but in a good, different way. And then season three, Amanda, which was kind of weird and in the book of Boba Fett way. Uh, and then Ahsoka, which I thought kind of reclaimed some of the things that I liked about Andor. Where, where do you stand on this as I rant on and on? Well, I mean, you know, again, if it's Star Wars, I enjoy it. That's really the what it boils down to. Yeah. Although Rise of Skywalker tests that at times. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I really liked it. I mean, you're right. I, I don't know. I mean, I, in the Discord, we had um, a couple of people and a couple of people here and there that had not seen rebels or clone wars and they seem to follow ahsoka fine and 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 seem to enjoy it but i do wonder you know how much more that means when you have those connections with those characters um i do think that the problem with and this is for every streaming show pretty much um is if you leave a cliffhanger or threads that need to be picked up they're not going to be picked up for two or three more years. Yeah. Right. It's not like when you were watching, you know, and you know, it was May and you had the cliffhanger and then August, the, you know, the next season started and you could, yeah. you know, three, three months, four months, whatever. I mean, in two years, who knows where we're, you know, yeah. what your mindset is and what all has come along. So I, I do hate that part of it. I wish, you know, it could have been more of, Hey, they filmed season one and season two together and it'll be out in, six months or something like that yeah but i I definitely have a fundamental issue with disney this gazillion dollar company not not having renewed ahsoka yet i don't get that yeah yeah i don't know i mean the strikes and stuff probably played a little bit of a role in it but i would have thought you would have uh, you would have probably green lighted two seasons to start with right i mean especially once you saw what filoni was trying to do um i think you just i would have thought so but you know what do I know? Um, and it's, and also, I mean, we're just having a lot of trouble getting these, if they're going to be so precious with their time, these things take forever, right? I mean, the Acolyte has been filming for a long time and it's all that, but it's still, it's probably been what, three, four years since that thing was announced. Yeah. We still haven't seen it. Um, you know, I think Skeletor Crew is going to come out before it, um, it, it looks like. Um, you know, there's still, you know, talk about the Lando series that apparently Donald Glover's going to write and stuff like that. But I just, 
you know, even if it the, the time it takes to make these shows, but then they have to schedule them so they're not on all at the same time, and there's enough spacing in between them, and there's only so many weeks in a year, and that's, you know, again, this is, you know, being spoiled to some degree, because when I was growing up, there were three Star Wars movies, and you didn't know that there was ever going to be anything else, so to be able to know that there's shows and things like that is, is a little bit of a first world problem, but um, it still feels like, you know, they could turn these things out a little bit and, but then again, you know, again, like you're talking about the quality and stuff like that, maybe it's, that's an issue too, because you start turning out episode after episode after, you know, show after show and and people get tired of it pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's just a bummer. You, I think you summed it up perfectly. I just, I want more and I don't want to wait three years. It's just, it's not, it's not fun. I need it. I need it now. (laughs) And they so keep charging and charging and charging more for these. That's also true. This, 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 um, which, uh, this fees that continue to increase, um, on a monthly or yearly basis, depending on how you're doing it, are a little bit, uh, it's starting to get to the point of we got away from cable for what? Um, yeah. you know, you know, that's, that's some of that. So, um, so I have, uh, I've lost something. I had some did, idea, and I don't know what it was. Oh no, now, did you? So. I guess you know, uh, talking about Star Wars and not only uh, Mandalorian, but did you? Uh, you know, I know that the. Did you have a favorite character, or uh, was there anyone that like really stood out to you? You know, for me, Balon and Ray Stevenson's mm-hmm. performance was out of this world. Uh, yeah. It was so captivating every second he was on screen. I don't feel like I felt that way about a Star Wars character in a very long time. Was it? Did you have that same reaction? Was there anyone yeah. else that you thought particularly nailed their role as these characters that we somewhat already knew as nerds? I think that yeah, Balon was incredible, and the fact that his story needs to continue, and they're going to have to recast. I mean, because they have to recast it. I don't. I don't yeah. think there's any way that they can't. Um, is a bit a bit of a disappointment, and hopefully they can can do that well. I will say, I think the one that translated the best. Um, was probably Sabine. I felt like the look of Sabine, the actions of Sabine, they all kind of fit. Ezra was pretty good too. Hera, I don't know. Hera was still a little bit of maybe Uncanny Valley a little bit compared to what we knew from Rebels. And that's just, I mean, it's always very difficult. You know, and I thought this with Rosario Dawson, you know, taking over Ahsoka, it's very difficult to take, especially a non-human Star Wars character from cartoon and turn them into real life. Cause it's just not going to yeah. look right. And especially if you've got a different voice, it's all a little bit different. Um, you know, that said they were all fine. Uh, but I think the one Sabine just really kind of hit for me. Yeah. Yeah. For me, for me, it was Ezra. I thought mm-hmm. that, uh, the, the, the young yeah. fella that they got to play Ezra, you know, I, I just, I thought his, I thought his delivery is what it was. You know, I don't, I don't know anything about that actor and what else he's done. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else, but it just felt like he kind of went out of his way. And maybe, maybe it's just great casting. Maybe that's how the, the guy talks. But like, it just felt like he was doing everything he can, not only with the smile, but the delivery, the body language, uh, to, to kind of really tap into that character. And then for me, it would be Sabine number two. And then I'm, I'm with you, like. I think my major gripe with that show uh, is that I, I don't know exactly what they're doing with the Ahsoka character. You know, I mm-hmm. the, the last we see Ahsoka in in animation is, you know, 
that amazing final episode of uh, Clone Wars, right? Where, um, you know, other than Rebels, I guess, I guess, you know, she's, she, uh, as I rant, like, you see her at the end of Clone Wars and you see where she is in Rebels. And I don't feel like the character that we see in Ahsoka is is that character. And I don't really like to leave things open-ended, but like, there's a playfulness that's gone. Now they bring it back towards the end of the season. Right. I thought, I thought that last episode in particular, uh, when they, <laughs> when they like storm the castle, uh, mm-hmm. that, that felt very clone war, clone wars. It felt very rebels. Uh, you know, it felt very Anakin and it was, it was awesome. I thought, um, you know, but, but other than that, I just thought that they were, they kind of hid that character and that character's great personality in playfulness uh, in a way that I didn't think meshed with the character until, you know, I, I know that, I don't know. It just seemed like even it they didn't really give Ahsoka a chance to be the Ahsoka that we all loved until various moments here and there in the second half of the season. Yeah, it, it, it did feel that, especially early on. And I think that I do think that was somewhat deliberate because I mean, yeah. Filoni wrote all these episodes and there, if anybody can write Ahsoka, it's Filoni, right? I mean, he created Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. He's everything that Ahsoka has ever been in pretty much. Uh, he's had a hand in. So I think that was, there was some deliberation. I just think it would have been, you know, some of the information we got later on about, you know, her being worried about Sabine going to the dark side after the, you know, the night of a thousand tears on Mandalore. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of stuff might have informed what we saw there early on if we had gotten it then instead of like, well, I think that was the last episode, right? Yeah. Like a throwaway um, line too. Yeah. Um, I guess it's also only fair to say, you know, caveat that um, because Thrawn was obviously great translation because it was the same actor that did the voice in rebels. Um, yeah. And I did, I felt like, you know, makeup's hard. Right. But I felt like the, the blue of the chest worked better than the green of the Twi'leks. Absolutely. I'm yeah. It for, There were times when Hera, her, like the, the makeup looked like it was running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now I was like, Jason was kind of cool to, to bring him into this chopper. Didn't get to kill anybody. So I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if chopper getting, you know, kind of sentimental in his old age. I don't know, but, um, and I do think, I know that some people, weren't real big on this but i do think it's very interesting to me to see some of the world building of what the new republic is doing and whether that you know it it requires committee meetings and things of that but to see you know we've got to start figuring out why this thing didn't take and all of a sudden the first order kind of comes around um and i think we're between andor and between um you know some of what we've seen in mandalorian and stuff i think we're getting a better idea of they just didn't really have it all figured out when they took over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I want that in its own forum, but I'm with you. I, I want to see more and more of it. I, I just, I do wish that, you know, I don't know if that was part of what they were planning with, the uh, the other show that didn't, that didn't take, uh, the, the yeah. um, but the, you know, uh, Rangers of the new Republic, Rangers of the new Republic. I knew it was something, the new Republic. I couldn't remember, but, um, like, I, I just wish I wish that had its own show, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then that would give us a better idea of what's going on when Ahsoka and Hera and 
but when they start interacting or yeah, I just, I wish that that was a little bit more self-contained, but you know, uh, it's probably pretty hard to sell a show on the daily goings on of an, an intergalactic Senate, um, right. to, to Disney, uh, executives. Yeah, probably so. Depending on, I mean, I, I mean, can you do a West Wing, a Star Wars West Wing? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it would, it would take quite a bit, and it would, uh, it is a little bit different audience. So yeah, probably a hard, hard sell to do that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. Are you, are you after watching Ahsoka? Are you, are you excited? Are you at all concerned with this idea that Dave Filoni is going to write a feature length movie that's going to kind of wrap this whole thing up in three or four years? I I want more. I want more as soon as I can. I'm a selfish Star Wars fan. I want more Anakin Skywalker. (laughs) I'm enjoying Hayden Christensen back and getting a chance to do fun stuff with that character and and complex stuff with that character rather than just brood over dead moms and despaired love. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, so yes, I, I want it. I want it as much as I can have it. And, you know, I, my guess is that, uh, you know, I, I think the next step is, eventually Sabine like I can't wait to see what happens with Sabine and Mandalore I I, I mentioned mm-hmm. in our group, little group chat that I think everything that they're doing including uh, like overly long shots on Sabine's Mandalorian helmet is trying to set up her being the next Mandalore and, and I think that's part of the reason why they're they're pushing her force sensitivity uh and I, like I'm anxious to see how all of that plays out in particular and that's part of the reason why I'm pretty bummed out about uh you know season two not being being something that is uh, an active development per se i mean at this rate we're gonna have this whole legion of force sensitive mandalorians since we yeah. have sabine and grogu um going at it so uh who knows what else who else they'll find um you know maybe boba fett was force sensitive too we don't know um it, it is a little i i, I, I don't know I don't want to say I dislike the idea of Sabine being force sensitive, but it does feel a little bit of a of a retcon to some degree because yeah. there just there really was never really a hint of that. I mean, she she could handle the 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 dark saber, but you didn't have to necessarily be force sensitive for that because we saw Bo Katan do that. So yeah. um, to add that in there, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it was fine, and it didn't. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see how they do with it, but it did feel like a we kind of need another Force character, so let's make it Sabine. Yeah, yeah. What it's like? Hey, what do we do with Sabine? All right, this is what we're gonna do. And then it, you know, as you start to like, I don't know, you start to figure things out. You wonder, is this how they're going to make the Mandalorian Force sensitive? Are they are they mm-hmm. using Sabine to set up that? Oh, hey, anybody? Because it seems. It seems like the anybody, and it seems like the anybody can be force sensitive thing is something that they're they're starting to really like get into a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, is that going to be the next thing where not only is uh, you know the Mandalorian can get into can can tap into the force, Sabine's going to show him how to do it uh, as someone who also couldn't tap into the force, and Grogu's going to help him realize it, and then maybe he is Mandalore, you know, like. I don't know. I just I, I do think that the everybody can handle the force is a bit of a cop out, and I, I think that there's a relatability thing as an audience that gets lost in that too. You know, yeah. I, everybody's favorite character is the you know not everybody's but <laughs> people love the the quirky the 
space pilot, you know, like, right. I, I don't know. I just think if everybody can handle the force, if everybody has a feel for the force, then it kind of dumbs that whole, the whole aspect of that down. If everybody's special, then no one is. How so, dare you? Uh, yeah, look, you started this off by telling me I was special. <laughs> yes, I did. And <laughs> that is why. Um, so that was it was all for this moment here. All for this. <laughs> you could you could double around and say, hey jerk, no one's special. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm very I I, I am not I'm not going to complain about getting more Star Wars. I'm very interested. Like I said, I, I don't know what this, you know, the skeleton crew is what Goonies in space, you know, uh, yeah. you know, and is this going to tie into somehow tie into Ahsoka or something like that? I, who knows? I, I'm very kind of interested to see how that turns out. I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant, but it, I mean, we'll see. Um, Acolyte again, I think that's going to be kind of interesting to focus on, you know, the bad guys, if you will, to, to, yeah. to focus on Sith in the time of the High Republic. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's so many different things that they can do still. I really wish they would kind of get a little bit more, and maybe they will after Floney's movie, get a little bit closer to that, you know. Yeah. The the either after after the after the sequel trilogy or at least getting up into where that sequel trilogy is starting to um because it feels like they've kind of hung out in this same section for quite some time yeah yeah i'm anxious to see how um how thrawn's rebellion uh, you know how it how it interacts with the first order because in like in my mind i see this this scenario where the new republic it's so focused on thrawn that you could you could see how the first order would be built, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm anxious to see that. What that aside, you know, I, I well, I'm definitely with you. I want to see him get closer to the the, the sequel trilogies, and I, I'd also like to see him like mainline storylines. I, I I'm I'm all over the place with the, the eras, and I'm embarrassed by that. But I, I have trouble keeping track of that. Luckily, it's you know the Filoni stuff has kind of all stayed in one area era, but. Um, but what did, what did, as I jump all over the place, what did you think of Hayden Christensen? What did you think of Anakin? I thought it was a good use of him. I think it was probably a better use of Hayden Christensen than they used in Kenobi. Um, because it was very difficult to believe him as, you know, Padawan um, Anakin in that flashback. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're using Darth Vader, I know Hayden Christensen was there, but it was, you know, it was very difficult to imagine that so i think they used him pretty well in ahsoka i think it's going to be very interesting to see you know with that last shot with the mortis gods coming into this and i think dave filoni loves that mythology and i think he's got that whole mythology kind of figured out yeah um you know does anakin floating around have something to do with that are we going to see more of that or was it just kind of a a parting shot i don't know i I think it's i like you said, I think it's very nice that they've been able to embrace Hayden Christensen. We've seen better things out of Hayden Christensen. Um, you know, a lot of those prequel actors are getting, I don't want to say rehabilitated, but maybe a, a fresh appreciation. You know, we've seen uh, Ahmad Best be a, a Jedi and in, in Mando. Um, yeah. And, you know, everybody tends to like to, tends to like those movies maybe better than the sequel trilogy and maybe at some point in time i'll live long enough to see the sequel trilogy get the same kind of um 
refurbishment. But uh, yeah, I, I think that it was it was fun to see him. And you're right. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Did any part of you think while you're watching Anakin and Ahsoka like talk and what we perceive to be the world, world beyond worlds, did you think that that's a different plane of existence? Like, uh, so I guess idealistically, as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, I, I hope that this, I want this to be something different than the world between worlds. I want this to be like mm-hmm. some, some whole other real estate venture that for folks, for force ghosts is what I want. <laughs> They've got all these places they can hang out after they get yeah. killed. That's, yeah. that's, that's I mean, it, to some degree, it looked like it. In some degree, it, but it, obviously, it acted differently, right? I mean, you yeah. know, the flashbacks and stuff like that. And um, so, I mean, I think it was the same. Could it be something different, or or did is it a malleable space? I think that's fair to say that it's it can be what it needs to be, right? Anakin had an idea, a way of manipulating it um, that Ezra and Ahsoka didn't in Rebels. You know, it was just yeah. more of a pathways. Um, I know, I, you know, the shots, again, I don't think anybody's going to ever forget those shots in that where, you know, it goes from Hayden to, to Vader, or for Anakin to Vader and back, you know, yeah. just kind of flashing. Those, those were pretty incredible. So well done. Yeah. So, all right. Um, anything else you want to talk about? I know we've been in an hour and a half and everybody has tuned us out <laughs> by now. Um, but I, I will leave the, the floor, not entirely to you, but um, because I, I'd never trust that. But <laughs> anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? No, I just want to say like, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to getting through this off season. Um, and and hopefully down the line getting to talk with you or you and Alan and about some of the things that have transpired. I, I think even if the Cardinals aren't as aggressive the way that everybody wants us that wants them to be, that I still think that we should all have some fun with this offseason. It's the first time we've ever experienced an offseason like this. And hopefully every move that's made sends us into a direction where um, we don't ever have to deal with another offseason like this, at least not for another decade. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that we're going to find out a lot about the Cardinals front office in a way that we never have. And I, I don't think, like, I, there's a legacy on the line here. And I don't know if they realize that. Uh, I, I don't know if it's just John Mazalax or Bill DeWitts uh, or, or whoever's. But there's a winning legacy here that, that has a chance to expire. And it pretty well hinges on this offseason. So hopefully they've learned their lessons and... Hopefully we can have a little bit more thorough of a conversation that isn't rule five, uh, which, you know, is boring basically by nature um, to, to, to talk about not only the steps that some of the prospects have taken, but who might've found their way out of the organization via trade. Uh, I, you know, you know me, like, I guess the thing I always want to leave with is, is how many people out there are doing amazing work in regards to carnal prospects. You know, it's, it, uh, well, no one will ever hear this, but you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Blake Newberry and Adam McBonny over at uh, Viva Alberto's are doing amazing work. And Daniel Guerrero at the Post-Dispatch is is killing it with what he does. And Sam Dykstra for MLB and Jeff Ponce for Baseball America and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Matt Thompson and all of the and are our, our, the incredibly talented and awesome Kareem, who hopefully he and I can both come on here and and have a conversation with you. Uh, over at Prospects Live, uh, you know, we can have a, a conversation about prospects where you can actually give information, uh, data-driven information where I just ramble on and on and I cannot understand for the life of me why anybody would want to listen to it. 
Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, there are so many, there's never been a time and you know, of course, Brian Walton at the Cardinal nation, there's never been a time where it's easier or better to follow Cardinal prospects and to make up your own mind about prospects too, based on these, these incredibly dedicated people providing you with information. So I, it's, it's nice as someone who started doing this because I was tired of poor information being disseminated <laughs> to know that even though I will continue on in some form or the other, that there are people out there who are just as good as me, if not better than me, almost certainly better than me also doing it. It's just, it's awesome how much I can learn from them, how much I am learning from them. Uh, so people who don't, who haven't invested the crazy amount of time into prospect and watching prospects and learning about prospects like I have, can learn on the fly and pretty quickly from some really educated and some really smart people. So I, I just always want to give those people a hat tip, which of course says nothing for the hat tip. I want to give you and gifts for just being like the two greatest people on the face of the earth. Well, I mean, you got half that, right? Gifts, gifts is pretty impressive. So um, are you going to do a dirty whatever this year? I mean, I don't know how far you're going to go down into it. This I, I, I would put a number on it, but then you'd probably go about 50 over it. <laughs> I I had no desire to, but I find myself at lunch, uh, at work, scribbling, doing uh, <laughs> rankings and writing little notes. Uh, so I, I unfortunately, all I can say is we'll see. I I did not want to, um, but then then I start thinking, and then I start seeing things like you mentioned earlier, where they're they're talking about clearing outfield space for Victor Scott the second, and I just want a second to have it on paper that. People need to calm down. Um, yeah, so that's I, I don't I don't know if I'll do it quite as extensively. I might do it more in like capsule forms where you know I, I can I can push people towards data um, that other people have written, and then I can just write a little capsule here and there, maybe group them in groups of five or groups of ten, and uh, get down that way. Especially because I think you can. I, I've been thinking about it more and more. And I'm worried that when you rank prospects, people just don't get it, right? So, you know, when like mm -hmm. you rank your favorite movies, everybody's like, Shawshank Redemption is my favorite movie. And, you know, or, or the, the greatest movie of all time is The Godfather. Well, that's your greatest movie of all time. Right. Uh, but it, it's a subjective experience. So I worry sometimes as I've gotten more into this that, like, when I say Jordan Walker is the best prospect in the organization, that people or the best prospect that the Cardinals have had in X amount of years, like people immediately think that that's going to be a hall of famer. So I'm just trying to like rethink my whole process for the, the dissemination of information. So that I guess the average person not familiar with me uh, can, can, you know, learn that information and not, and understand that there's, hold on. I gotta, I gotta, I'm, I'm making macarons. See, that's, that's the thing you need to understand about me, Daniel is uh, I'm making tasty pastry treats uh, from of the course. French cooking uh, technique. Um, as I assume, they're, I assume they're blue, blue, green. Ha! Um. <laughs> no, they're so true story. Uh, and we'll talk about my baking exploits as you try to get off of this podcast <laughs> with me. Uh, they are Oreo flavored macarons. So if you want to know how stupid I am, what I am doing is I am replacing one sandwich treat for another sandwich treat that is way more <laughs> complex than the normal process for that original sandwich treat. Um, as we talk about how I rank prospects, by the way. Um, yeah. I think it's very, very much a, 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 
a relevant uh, analogy there. Yeah, this one hurts, Daniel. This one hurts me in my core. This is this is one of those uh, looking glass moments for me that hopefully the front <laughs> office is going through. See, that's how good I am. I can make this all about the Cardinals. Don't ever doubt me. <laughs> well, if you do do the the rankings, uh, we would love to have you on if either as a, a special, you know, talk about all five of them at the time, you know, a series of podcasts or yeah. one big conversation. Um, you know, you're always welcome here uh, until you're not. Um, you so. mean at your house. I'm always welcome <laughs> at your house in your living room with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I no, I, I, am con- I would be concerned for my family. Um, but, you know, fair, fair enough. Always a pleasure. Always enjoy it and um, look forward to doing it again. Yeah, you're the best, Daniel. Thank you. All right. For Kyle, I'm Daniel. I'll talk at you later. Oh, what a pool. In the air, left field, and Pools has given St. Louis the lead. A dramatic, towering three run home run. Stunned in disbelief.